0: You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, Martin Luther was a professor at the University of Wittenberg assigned to teach the book of Romans. And he was working on that book, it was probably the winter of 1517, 1518, we can't know exactly for sure. He was working on that book and he could not sort it out, especially he was stuck on Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which says, Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, Luther would write later in life about his struggle over this particular verse and how it was especially in the text the word righteous that he couldn't figure out because he was taught in school, and this was according to the majority of Roman Catholic theologians in the Middle Ages, that righteousness meant our keeping God's commands, our activity our doing, our own efforts. There were, it was understood back then, at least two different types of righteousnesses. The righteousness of the law, which was understood to be the outward keeping of the Ten Commandments, The outward keeping of the, especially the second table of the law, not hurting your neighbor, not committing adultery, not stealing, not telling lies. And everyone had to keep this righteousness of the law. And then they understood that there was a righteousness of the gospel, which was something even more. They called it sometimes the evangelical councils, the vows of poverty and chastity and obedience that the, that the very religious would take, the monks and the priests. These monks and priests were the ones living a life of such overwhelming holiness, at least in their own eyes, that they hoped not only to be perfect enough to reach themselves to reach heaven, but they hoped to have some more merit and good works left over that they didn't even need, that they could share with others. Now, can you imagine the trouble, though, of this idea? And here, here God comes with the Ten Commandments, and He says, you should do all of these things, which seems like quite enough. And then, according to this theology, according to this understanding of the gospel, the Lord comes along with more and says the Ten Commandments are not enough. Now here's some extra work. Do all of this if you want to live. So there's more demands, more impossible demands placed upon you more than, than even God gives in the Ten Commandments. And it's, it's a crushing sort of thing. And, and when you have this theology, there's really two things that you can do with it. Number one, you can just sort of dismiss it and ignore it and go about living a prideful and wanton life, and it seems like this was what most people chose at the time of the Reformation, or you could take the theology seriously and end up in despair. And that was the track that Luther was on. In in fact, reflecting back on this later in his own life, about, about his struggle with this idea of this righteousness of the gospel. He, he'll say things like, I hated that word, the righteousness of God, and I hated the God that demanded such righteousness. But was Luther reading the text right? Is this what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter 1? Is, is this what Habakkuk is talking about in Habakkuk chapter 2, the verse that Paul quotes? Habakkuk was a prophet in Jerusalem between the fall of the northern kingdom and the destruction of the south. We can remember these these dates. Remember King Solomon was king after David died. And when King Solomon died in the year 930-931, the kingdom was divided into Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And that northern kingdom, Israel, was destroyed by the Assyrians in the year 722 which was the time of Isaiah the prophet. In fact, the Assyrians destroyed the north, and then they came down to destroy Jerusalem as well. And Hezekiah is praying, and Isaiah is prophesying, and the Lord protects Jerusalem by sending the angel who, who killed uh, was 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers in one night. Oh, so Jerusalem escapes that. And they escaped it for like 130 years. Jerusalem was there, existing as a nation, until 586 when the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar came and, and wiped them out, destroyed the temple, and carried almost everyone into exile. Now, Habakkuk is in between those two major events, between 1722 and, and 586. In fact, we could probably pin Habakkuk down even more. Uh, he probably preached during the, uh, the, the, rain, the very short reign of King Ammon. The years were, I have to look here, the years were 640 to 642. So right in the middle of that time, Habakkuk is there in Jerusalem and he's preaching. And Habakkuk's looking around and he's seeing how, how um, the people in Jerusalem have paid no attention to what happened in the north. They're not repenting of their sins. They're acting violently. They're telling lies. They're not caring for one another at all. That they've basically forgotten Moses and the law that God gave them. That the wicked rule, the godly are abused, the, and that the society is falling apart... So Habakkuk complains to God about how bad things are. And so God responds by saying, don't worry, I'm going to punish the people by raising up the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians, and they're going to come and wipe you out. (laughs) Now Habakkuk says, wait, wait, that wasn't what I was expecting. (laughs) That kind of promise is not what I was hoping for. In fact, Habakkuk says, how can you let the Chaldeans come and destroy us? They're even, if you can imagine it, they're even worse than we are. I mean, we're sinful, but the Chaldeans are, are full of sin. They don't even, it's not, they don't even have a chance of being righteous. They don't have the law. They don't have anything good. So Habakkuk makes the case to the Lord, that he shouldn't send the Chaldeans in to destroy Jerusalem for her sins. And then he says, now I'm going to stand here on the wall and wait to hear what the Lord's going to say. Now that takes us to our Old Testament reading. That's the background of it. Habakkuk says, how can an even worse nation come to punish the people? And I'm going to, I'm going to wait. Here's how the verse goes. Habakkuk says, I'll take my stand at the watchpost, and I'll station myself on the tower... And I will look out to see what he, that is the Lord, will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. And then the Lord answers Habakkuk says, The Lord answered me. Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that he may may run who reads it. In other words, the Lord says, Habakkuk, I'm not taking this back. The promise will stand. The Babylonians are coming. In fact, if you want to, you can throw out your paper scroll and you can chisel it on a stone tablet and make the letters so big that if someone's running by, they can still see what it says. Make a billboard if you want. The Babylonians are coming. The Lord continues. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to its end it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It's not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The Babylonians are coming, the Lord tells Habakkuk. And the proud and the arrogant of the city will be destroyed. The king's will be removed from their thrones. The priests who are offering the sacrifices to the idols will be carried away. The rich and the strong who are abusing and hurting the people, they will all be humbled. But there is one way to escape the trouble. The Lord says to Habakkuk, one way to live, one way to be righteous, and therefore to escape the Lord's judgment, the righteous shall live by his faith. God has given them a promise. And they are to live by clinging to that promise. Now, sometimes it's all we have, the promise of God. But it is, says Habakkuk, enough. It's enough for Habakkuk to have the promise of God. And by faith in this promise, the Lord considers Habakkuk to be one of the righteous ones, one of those who is not destined for destruction and wrath, but destined for a life that never ends. And the same is true for all who hear the preaching of Habakkuk and believe it. All who have faith in the Lord's promises shall live. Now, it's good for us just to take a moment to remember the difference between faith and works. Faith, remember, is how you keep a promise Whereas working and doing is how you keep a commandment. If I I give you a command, you wouldn't say back to me, I believe you, because I didn't give you anything to believe. I gave you something to do. Uh If I gave you something to do, on the other hand, you wouldn't say, or if I gave you something to believe, you wouldn't say, well, I'm going to do it, because I didn't give you a command to keep, I gave you a promise to trust. So a promise is something that we trust, while a command is something that we do. Now, it's a little bit surprising to see trust and faith here in the preaching of Habakkuk. After all, if the Lord is coming to wallop the people because of their sins, then we would think that, the mo- that most of the preaching of, of Habakkuk would be something like, Hey, guys, stop sinning. Keep the law. Do more good stuff. If you want to escape God's wrath, get your act together. Your sins got you into this mess. You'd better do your part to get out of it. But Habakkuk does not preach this way. He does not preach works. Not here. He preaches faith. He preaches trust in God's promises. He says, the righteous shall live by faith. And Paul picks up this preaching of Habakkuk back in Romans 1. Paul knows that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Unrighteousness means that we deserve God's wrath and anger. Righteousness means that we do not. So how, if we are unrighteous by according to our sins, how are we supposed to be righteous? The answer from Habakkuk, the answer from Paul... Faith. The righteous shall live by faith. It is true that it is by our own efforts that we are sinners and we deserve God's wrath, but it is not true that by our own works and our own efforts we become righteous and escape God's wrath. Righteousness, at least the righteousness that leads to life, is the righteousness of faith. Now remember, there is a native-born theology that lives in all of our hearts that wants to think, it just can't, can't escape this idea that because our sins make God mad at us, it will be our good works that will make God happy. No. That's not true. This this most fundamental theological assertion that's found in all of us is simply not at all true. It's not according to the teaching of the prophets or the apostles, Habakkuk or St. Paul. The righteousness that avails before God is not the righteousness of our works and not the righteousness of our efforts. It's not a righteousness of our keeping of the law, but it is the righteousness of faith. So that there are two types of righteousnesses But not like Luther thought, at least not when he was a monk. It's not the righteousness of the law, the Ten Commandments, that requires this much, and the righteousness of the gospel that requires even more. It is the righteousness of the law that requires of us perfect acts, but it is the righteousness of the gospel that is delivered to us as a gift, a free gift, according to the mercy and kindness of God. There is an active righteousness of the law, the stuff that we are to do, but there is a passive righteousness which comes to us as pure, pure gift. And at long last, while Luther was rubbing on this text, Romans 1 and Habakkuk 2, he saw it. He tells the story. He says, I paid attention to the words, the righteous shall live by faith. By faith, not by works. So that this righteousness of the gospel is not something that we get by doing or working or efforts or activity. It is not the commanded righteousness, but it is a promised righteousness. It's not an earned righteousness, but a given righteousness. It's a a righteousness that comes to us by the grace of God. And it's ours through faith. Luther says that when he understood this, it was like the doors of heaven were flung wide open and he was completely born anew. He ran through the Scriptures in his own mind, thinking of of all the places where, instead of requiring things of us, the Lord was giving gifts and promising us life and righteousness and peace. Because it is not. It is not by our own works and our own efforts that we are saved. It is not by your own works and efforts that you are saved. Jesus is the Savior. His death is your life. His suffering is your peace. His sacrifice is your righteousness. His blood is your holiness. And His cross is your comfort and your confidence in life and in death. The righteous shall live by faith. It is by the promise of the death of Jesus that you are accounted righteous and holy, perfect in the sight of God. And if you can believe it, you are ready to stand before him on the day of judgment, wrapped and covered in his perfection. This is the preaching of Habakkuk. The preaching of Paul. The preaching of the prophets and the apostles and the church of God. This is the preaching of the gospel that carries us all the way through sin and death to righteousness and life eternal. And we only have it by faith. I think the promise of the gospel is such a stunning promise. The promise of the gospel is such a... a, a, it's so beyond anything that we could ask for and imagine that the only way to get to it is by faith. Remember, the forgiveness of sins is not just that the Lord takes all the things that you've done wrong and wipes them out and erases them. He does more than that. He, he gives to you and to me the perfect keeping of the law that Jesus accomplished. You remember how Jesus perfectly honored his father in the temple? Remember how Jesus never blasphemed how, how Jesus always kept the Sabbath? Remember how he honored his father and mother? How he always cared for the people around him? How he was perfectly chaste and generous and honest and content in every way? All of this keeping of the law that Jesus accomplished, it's all given to you. So that when you go to stand before the Lord on the last day to be judged, the Lord, it's not just that the Lord sees you as perfect like Adam and Eve were perfectly innocent in the garden before the fall. He sees you as perfect as His own Son, Jesus. As righteous and as holy as Him. And He delights in you just as much as He delights in His Son. The righteous live by this faith. Die in this faith and come to eternal life by this faith. May God grant it for Christ's sake. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.